Listeners, I'm Mary Thompson Hunt, and welcome to From the Heart. I'm here today without Joshua Vickery. Joshua is out saving the world through the arts. He's conducting a concert tonight, and he's very busy. He sends his love. Um, As you know, Central Florida is widely known for its tourist spots and attractions, but many people don't know about the thriving arts community. So on this show, we are excited to introduce to you talented and passionate artists who shape our arts community, and we find out how they create and why they do it, and how can Central Florida benefit from an even greater arts presence. On each episode, we'll also introduce you to guests who are influential leaders and artists who are truly making a difference from the heart. That's odd reading that by myself. Normally, we piece that out. Josh gets half, I get the other half, but... Sorry, Joshua, I didn't want to do my impression of you today. I saved you. Um, Welcome, everyone, to our show. The good part about this show is that at the beginning, usually Josh and I will talk about what we did during the arts that week or observations that we've made. But we have three guests today that have a lot to say, so I think I'm going to take that time and delve right into our show today. Uh, With us today from the Orlando Shakespeare Festival, we have Anne Herring, who I've known for many years. We met uh, back at Pleasure Island years ago at Walt Disney World. I kind of want to know what you did last weekend. What did I do last weekend? Yeah, because, you know, nothing. Um, Wondered where Joshua was. Yeah, I, you know, when I'm not here, I sit and I contemplate. I wonder what Joshua's yeah, doing now. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. And that's what he does. He I'm wonders. sure he does the same. Yeah, yeah. In fact, when he's conducting tonight, I'm sure he'll be thinking, one, two, three. I wonder Mary, where he is sure. now. Five, six, seven. <laughs> I'm making this up, audience. <laughs> you know, usually I think about it on the way in. And on the way in today, I was on the phone with someone. I went, you know what? We're good. I don't have to tell everyone what no, I did this week. No, so. sorry I asked. Oh, that's all right. I'll probably think about it later and get it in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I do have, I have more time with you. Um, that was Anne Herring, who I've known since Pleasure Island Long days. Time. I met you in, like, I started there in 1990. Yeah, so I moved down in 90, so wow. somewhere around there. Yeah, my Early goodness. 90s, yeah. Well, we've How known each other long. I'm, whoa, Geritol's kicking in. <laughs> 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 I'm doing good. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Well, you have... Um, over the years, one of my pleasures in this community is seeing you in plays. Um, an amazing actress. If you've been following the theater scene, you've seen Herring in a me- million plays. Probably didn't know as many as she's been in. She's directed, many produced. Have done, yep. Yeah, I was in a play that you directed yep, once. the Violet Hour, mm-hmm. Orlando Theater Project. It went by very quickly for that hour show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Anne Herring is the director of education mm-hmm. and also an actor at Orlando Shakespeare Festival. We also have Christian Knightley, the marketing director, and we have Jack Smith, costume designer, uh, specifically of Twelfth Night, and we'll go a little further into why specifically for Twelfth Night it had some special requirements that we'll get to hear about. Guests, welcome. Thank you for having us. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Well, for those listeners who perhaps there might be one or two out there who has not been to the Orlando Shakespeare Festival or isn't really sure what the theater is about, let's hear a little bit about the history and the mission of this theater. Well, um, as you just mentioned, we started as the Orlando Shakespeare Festival because we were, in fact, a festival of two plays um, at Lock Haven Park, or no, sorry, at Lake Lake Eola Park um, at the amphitheater um, every spring. So it was truly a festival of two plays. Um, We have since become a year-round theater, um, doing 12 or so um, productions every year. And we are now in Lock Haven Park at the Lowndes Shakespeare Center. Um, so we are lucky enough to be about to celebrate our 30th anniversary. Wow. Next year, yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, and we have a lot of special things planned to celebrate that. 
Fantastic. Will mm-hmm. we hear of any of that today, or is that another show we'll have you back for? No, we're going to we're going to um, do some spoiler alerts and Fantastic. talk about next season. Yeah. Oh, so listeners, you can't go away. We have a lot to share with you. Yeah. Uh, so the history of Orlando Shakes. So it started back then, and how did you get that space, by the way? Um, well, the space was originally the Orlando Science Center, and then it was renovated to be the um, History Center. And then in around 2000, um, we did a, a fundraising campaign and um, took um, moved in full-time <clears throat> and turned it into the Shakespeare Center. And we're very, very grateful to the city for letting us use that space. Um, and uh, we've done renovations within the space over the years, but we currently have two full-time performance spaces, um, but four that can be used as performance spaces that we frequently frequently rent out, mm-hmm. um, two of those. Um, we are the home, one of the homes of the Fringe Festival, mm-hmm. um, and we actually share the office space with the Fringe Festival. Um, their offices are now in the Shakespeare Center. Yes, I visited their upstairs. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Uh, over the years, the 30 years, how many of you have been there since the beginning along with yourself? I have not. Not from the... No, no, no. I was with you at Orlando Theater Project. Um, See, I thought that that w- they was sort of turned into the one. Oh, no, no, no. No, no so or- Orlando, um, the Shakespeare Festival was um, was the brainchild of Stuart Omens, who was on the faculty of UCF. Okay. And um, so it was started in, do the math for me, next year is 19, so 89. <laughs> um, and uh, he, he envisioned the festival. Um, the, I don't know even if Jim Helsinger has been there from the very beginning, but he has certainly been there longer than anybody else. I think he was jobbed in for one of the shows in mm-hmm. the early seasons. Right. And when he it, is currently in the artistic park. director. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. So pretty much, but that's almost the entire time. Yes, yeah. he's he certainly has the legacy. He's been there. He's been there through all the transformations. All right, mm-hmm. way to go, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the years that you have been there, what are some of your um, when you look back at landmark times of when certain mm-hmm. growth has taken place? Mm-hmm. What sticks out in your mind as helping to redefine the theater? Well, I wasn't there at the time, but certainly moving from. Um, from an outdoor festival to an indoor year-round theater company, I think was a pivotal moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think starting, um, we do, our, our mission uh, essentially is to do classical, contemporary, and children's plays. And so I think when we started doing chil- the children's series, I think that um, brought us into a new demographic. And I think when we started doing um, new play development, um, with more contemporary plays and Playfest, which is our new play festival every fall. I think that was a milestone for us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think we, we keep growing and, and serving all three of those um, missions. I look forward to hearing more about what some of those new growths will be coming up. I okay. know you have some announcements coming on later today. Christian, tell us a little bit about your job as a marketing director. And how long have you been with Shakespeare? Uh, well, I actually am pretty new to the Orlando Shakespeare Theater. Um, I started in November of last year. Um, previously, I had started and been running my own digital marketing agency. So I have a very strong digital background, not so much theater. Mm-hmm. But um, I've always been excited by theater, um, excited by acting. Um, since I was eight years old, I had been making m- movies. It's something that I've always enjoyed doing. So... I, I kind of bring that to that to the table. 
Um, and then with the strong digital background, I'm, I'm hoping to really um, expand the reach of Orlando Shakespeare Theater so that our community knows more about us, what we're doing. Um, I think a lot of people think Orlando Shakespeare Theater just does Shakespeare. And uh, I'm looking to change that perception um, over the next year, especially as we move into our 30th year. Mm-hmm. Nice. And I think it's time that we talk to the man who's been here sewing <laughs> <laughs> as we speak. You probably do that throughout many of your days, don't you, Jack? I do. I um, do. Jack Smith is the costume designer specifically for Twelfth Night. Tell us a little bit about your costume background. Uh, well, I've, I, I started doing costuming in undergrad, though when I look at the history of my life, it sort of always made sense that that would be the direction I would go. Uh, I didn't start out thinking I would do theater uh, when I left high school, but I loved sewing, I loved history, I loved theater, I loved art. And those all came together the first time I was in a costume shop, and I knew within the first five minutes that I was where I was supposed to be. And wow. so I'd never looked back from that moment on. Um, but specifically, I came to the what was then the Orlando Shakespeare Festival in 1998 uh, and started as the resident designer and shop manager and worked here for five years as resident designer and then decided I wanted to pursue teaching again and so left to teach, but I've come back almost every season to do one or two shows. Mm-hmm. Is it still your passion? It is. I, lo- I love this place. Uh, I love Orlando. Uh, it was not easy leaving here to go somewhere else to, to teach, but uh, I teach up in North Carolina at a little uh, private university called Elon. Elon. And Where is Elon? It's, uh, it's north central uh, North Carolina. It's in between Raleigh, Durham, and Greensboro. Is mm-hmm. what I always tell people. Mm-hmm. People know where those places are. Well, they're very fortunate to have you. Um, well, I hope so. I try very hard to to make it worth their while for me to be there, mm-hmm. so. and worth your while as well. Yes, exactly, <laughs> absolutely. So this season, uh, you're doing something new at the theater with the with your Shakespeare production. Tell everyone mm-hmm. what exactly makes this unique to this year. Um, well, every year we do um, our, what we call a repertory of two plays, essentially with the same cast on the same set um, in this footprint of February, March. And this year, um, one of our plays is Twelfth Night, and we are doing it with what we, what is called original practices. And so that means, that, and that's the play that um, Jack has designed, um, that means that um, in this case, it's a all-male production of Twelfth Night, and it is um, uh, done in what was called original pronunciation, which is a combination of standard British and Welsh um, kind of sounding dialects, but it is what we believe is closest to what Shakespeare's actors spoke in his time. Can you give us an example? I can't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) No. And the reason I can't is because I'm not in that show because I'm a girl. And so um, all the all the cast members in Twelfth Night are guys, and I've not had the opportunity to learn that dialect. I, however, am in the other play that is alternating with Twelfth Night, which is Shakespeare in Love, which mm-hmm. is based on the film. Um, but Twelfth Night is really unique, and as Kristen said, it's um, a, an unusual opportunity to see in the States, certainly in Florida, um, an original practices version of Twelfth Night. There's... Um, 
we can't can't go so far as no electrical lighting, mm-hmm. um, but we are coming as close to one can to the indoor theatrical lighting of Shakespeare's time. Um, the indoor theater was called the Blackfriars Theater, and it was u- it used only uh, candlelight. So, of course, for fire hazards, we can't go that far, but we have a standard light cue. The audience is in light as well as the actors are in light throughout. There are no light cue changes, no blackouts or anything like that. And we have just these gorgeous um, chandeliers of, you know, those candle lights that um, actually have a flame yes. that look like yes. they're real? I love those. They're really cool. And the whole over the audience over, um, and over the stage are these chandeliers of, I, I don't know, hundreds. There's over 300. Over candles. 300 yeah. of wow. those candles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the effect is just breathtaking. And because we've perfected that technology, you can see the flickering, you know, of the quote-unquote flame. Um, so that is also unusual. There's no amplified sound. There's no recorded sound effects. Um, we have musicians playing live, mm. um, acoustical instruments. What instruments do you have? We have lutes. We have recorders. We have a guitar. Um, Again, yeah. instruments of that time. Yeah. 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 So uh, so we're doing everything we can to keep it true to that experience, and, and that makes it really unique for the audience. And I take it the musicians are dressed as the musicians oh, of that yeah. time would be? Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And was that you too, Jeff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you ever have talkbacks? Yeah. Yes. We have one talkback um, for each run of each show with the public, and then for every student matinee, we have a talkback um, where we answer questions and ask questions of our student audiences. Is there a theme of a certain question that you're getting more than any other? Well, we always education runs the talkbacks for the student matinees, and we always try to have a leading question or some kind of jumping-off point. And with Twelfth Night and Shakespeare in Love, it is very much about women on stage and and the social norms and mores and how they have changed over the years and what what the difference because Shakespeare in Love is essentially the same a, sure. a story that is similar about a woman who wants to be an actress dressing as a boy so that she can be. So um, so that tends to be where we're talking, the, the theme the of theme, the talk. Sure. Backs. A lot of people are probably new to even knowing back right. then that right. women didn't weren't in plays. Exactly. Surprise not. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm a bit surprised that time has gone by so quickly for this segment, but we will be back. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on Magic 107.7 FM from the heart. Welcome back to From the Heart. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt, here today without Joshua Vickery. However, I have three amazing guests from Orlando Shakespeare Festival. We have Christian Knightley, marketing director, Anne Herring, educator director and actor, and Jack Smith, costume designer for this coming production of Twelfth Night. Um, We've been talking about the play so far, Twelfth Night, um, a little bit about Shakespeare in Love, and being done in repertoire. And I asked you a little bit about what the biggest questions were, and you answered 
uh, the lack of women in the day. Yeah, well, and and the other original practices that that we're trying to honor in the play. Like no electricity. With like no electricity, no recorded um, sound effects Mm -hmm. or music. Um, no lighting cue, you know, cue changes and the costumes, which are amazing. Well, I'm watching Jack. He's uh, so literally working on the production as he sit, as, he's, as he is sitting here. So, what adaptations did you have to make that you would have done differently? Were this not trying to be as authentic as it is? Right. Uh, well, one of the biggest was trying to hide any closures that would not be period accurate because we do have some fast changes in the show. Um, for example, the sea captain washes on shore at the very top of the show, and then in nine minutes, which is a lifetime when you're doing a fast change, but when you're going from uh, sort of a, an Ottoman ship's captain into a lady-in-waiting, um, it's, it's a lot to get you know, through corsets and farthingales. and So he plays and, a, a night watchman, and then in another scene is a lady-in-waiting because right. they, they played yeah. many roles. Yeah, he plays the captain of a ship. Uh, and so, um, uh, he, he, he gets washed onto shore with Viola and he's the cat, he's the captain of the ship that sunk that they were on. And then, yeah, in nine minutes after he leaves stage, he comes on as a lady in waiting to the house of Olivia. And he had to have a corset. Yeah. Corset, farthingale, uh, petticoat, a bum roll, <laughs> uh, a skirt, a partlet, um, a hat, a fall, a veil. See, you are one of the few men that get it now. Oh, you yeah. get it. It's oh, not yeah. easy putting on the amount of clothes we women oh, have to put on, right? Absolutely. And my very first costume uh, professor, Nancy Chandler, who really taught me so much about the beauty of what we get to do, um, insisted that while in costume class, we all tried on corsets and we tried to walk in high heels. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter what your gender was. You tried all of these things, three-piece suits. Her theory was that if you understood what it was you were asking an actor or an actress to do, you would be more mindful about it. It's not that you wouldn't put them in a corset or high heels, but you would understand what you were asking of them. Right, and what they were going through. And and did anything ever pop into your mind during one of those experiences of, hey, I could actually give a little more space here? Right, yeah, yeah. or uh, we've done some things even in this show with lacing corsets up with elastic mm-hmm. so that there's some breathing room. Breathing room. Uh, and uh, Shakespeare's, the, the meter of Shakespeare's poetry is roughly the amount of air that it takes to fill a set of human lungs. Wow. So it's, it's one of the beauties of Shakespeare's work. Yes. Uh, but but then you have to try and give them the ability to get that. To get all in. that air in, right. And, and that's why men probably have more lines. They could breathe more air in. Absolutely. And, well, and it was difficult in Shakespeare's time to uh, have mature women because mm. they were played by Men. adolescent or, or just post-adolescent boys mm. or pubescent boys. And so it was, uh, you know, that's why there aren't a lot of women in Shakespeare's plays because mm-hmm. they, were, they were hard to, to maintain. I have a question. Back in the time of Shakespeare, and you would know this, uh, in fact, you all might, were there any theatrical productions where women were allowed to be players? No. It was illegal? In England, it was illegal. It was, it happened in Italy and France at the same time, but in England, because they were, um, even, even in what we would say legitimate stage, um, in France and Italy, um, but, uh, not, not in England, um, because the church forbade it. Uh, Yeah. And when did that change? It changed after the Reformation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, 
partly what changed was that um, once once um, the the law came down against all theater, the upper class started doing kind of like speakeasy theater. They started doing you know illegal theater in their homes. Wow! And um, because uh, the wealthy women had always been allowed to perform in masks in um, in palaces or you know courts. Um, partly because they were masked. They had a mask, so everybody was uh, disguised. Um, women, wealthy women were used to performing and, and seeing women on stage in masks and wanted to continue that. So in these illicit, illegal performances that started to happen, they said, well, if we're breaking the law doing theater at all, we might as well break the law and put women on stage. So they did. And then uh, eventually, was it Charles? Charles II. Charles II, um, when he ascended to the throne, um, he happened to be, his mistress at the time was Nell Gwynn, who was a, a famous um, actress. And um, he was a lover of theater, and he said, the heck with this. And so he issued a charter saying women can be on stage and making one particular company the king's company. Wow. And from that time on, women were on stage. But it was it's largely the church and Puritanism that that. Force that kept women from being on stage. Imagine and, that. And Charles II also grew up in France. He escaped yeah. England, and so he was raised in the court of Louis the Fourteenth and saw uh, Louis the Fourteenth and Louis the Fifteenth. So he saw French women performing on stage when he was very. Uh, he young. grew up with that. So yeah. He, yeah. He just didn't. He didn't understand why. And the wealthy could travel to those right. other countries, and they would say, "Oh, let's. You should see what's going on in Paris." Yeah. These women are doing, you know, blah, blah on stage. Um, so eventually it just kind of folded. I love that. And listeners, were you coming to listen to the show to expect to get some history <laughs> out there? now for your historical moments. I, I love that. The, the ladies in the costume shop, every time we'd go into a fitting, I would be explaining to the, the gentlemen, especially the gentlemen playing women, the history of what they were wearing. But I'm a great lover of the history of dress and what it says about a, a particular time and place. And so I would be explaining to them why they wore what they wore and mm. how they wore it. And the other day, the girls in the shop were like, we missed the fittings. They were like many costume history lectures. Yes, I'm sure. And I'm sure. That Jack, what's the difference between a bum roll and a farthingale? So a farthingale is a stiffened skirt. It comes in a couple of different shapes. There's the French farthingale, which is sort of conical. It looks like a, the, an ice cream cone upside down. But it was done with whalebone... Um, caning or sometimes actual metal hoops in smaller and smaller hoops as you so it looks like you've got a series of hula hoops sewn into your skirt exactly and a bum roll is a stuffed pad of various sizes it looks roughly like a kielbasa sausage and it wraps around the waist and would just plump the skirt out away from the, the body there's a second type of farthingale that's called a cartwheel farthingale and it's exactly what it sounds like it's just a big circle uh, that sits at the waist, but they uh, both farthingales use a bum roll to also kind of kick the skirt out, and it was really a way of showing off the lavish textiles of the period. And the the bigger your bum roll, the more fabric you had, the more ostentatious. You meant it was. probably the richer you were, right? Absolutely, because you could eat that right. much, right? And, yeah. and famously, uh, the English liked uh, their women curvy. Uh, so the the corsets from this period don't really change the shape of the body as much as it just makes it a bit rigid. Mm. And uh, 
uh, Elizabeth was the only person allowed to wear a velvet bum roll because that was a sign of her station. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, her bum roll was made of velvet. My bum roll is not velvet. I know, it should Shakespeare be. Shakespeare in Love, and I play Elizabeth the yeah, first. It should I'm, be. I want to grieve that. Oh. I know. Had I had I designed the show, you would have had uh, a velvet no, bum roll. No, oh, I, no. I'm not going to no. come no. see the show unless you no. get a velvet bum roll. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It really, it's they are beautiful gorgeous. and you don't, don't see it. Yeah. Christian, don't you feel like almost rejected that she didn't ask that uh, question about costuming to us? I mean, <laughs> we're sitting right here. Well, <laughs> sorry. No, I'm I'm actually glad Jack took it. He knew one or two things I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> nice going. Thanks. I can tell that you have a strong passion for the work you do. I do. And this challenged you, huh? It did. It did because it's um, normally when I design a show, I can fudge a little bit here and there. But the, the whole premise of this was that we were going to be historically accurate. Mm-hmm. So I designed, a, for example, I designed a feather fan for the lady Olivia. And the actor playing Olivia asked, well, can it be a collapsing fan? Because that's more fun as an actor. And uh, while in the, the uh, sort of logs of what Elizabeth owned, and um, Elizabeth's clothing was inventoried every year as a part of the state treasury. It was part oh. of the wealth of England. And famously, when she died, she died with over 3,000 dresses. Wow. So, And when you think about the, the circuitous route that silk had to take to get from Japan and yes. China to England, that's an impressive, an impressive figure. But um, she had one or two collapsing fans. Japan had started selling these fans as, as trade goods. But they were very rare, mm-hmm. and so we had a we had a probably a fifteen or twenty minute discussion in a production meeting over. Well, it's not historically accurate that that uh, the Countess Olivia would have a collapsible fan, and certainly the actors in the Globe Theater would, would not, not have had yeah. a collapsing. So, fan. And so, so you in fact do not. Yeah, we uh. stuck with a feather fan, even though the actor would have Poor rather. John. Poor John. Poor John. I know. I know. And I I hate I hate saying no to an actor because usually it's driven because of something they want to right. explore. Right, but here's the thing. Um, I love the fact that all of you were more committed to the accuracy of wanting to portray with authenticity this time yeah. period. I Absolutely. applaud you for that. You. Uh, so you told me something that was a challenge. Uh, Christian, for you, what was a challenge that this production has brought to you as a marketing director? Um, well, I mean, being an original Elizabethan pr- production, um, it's actually been fun to market this particular show, um, explaining all of the different things that we're doing that that an audience wouldn't necessarily expect today mm-hmm. um, is a lot of fun. Um, you know, the the fact that we we've talked about the lighting, we've talked about the costumes, we have musicians that are playing period instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, the Do you the, turn the air conditioning off. Um, <laughs> Oh dear! We, we, we do leave, we do leave that on. Okay, we won't talk about it. <laughs> um, but um, it's been um, you know communicating that to to the masses has been um, interesting. Um, we're, we're hoping that our efforts in communicating the the differences that an audience member can expect um, have been communicated well. Have you been asked to do more like this? Um, not yet. I think, um, we, we, this, we're coming up on opening weekend. Mm -hmm. So I think hopefully over the run of the show, 
we'll get some interesting feedback from I'm our patrons. Curious to hear what the children think too. Yes. We've discovered a few interesting things, like how do you get the audience to go into the theater when it's curtain time if you cannot make the announcement? If the house manager can't make an announcement in the lobby, ladies and gentlemen, please go to your seats, blah, blah, because we can't do that. And we can't flash the lights because we're trying to, you know. So um, we've uh, figured out a way around that by having some um, lobby entertainment um, to be out in the lobby doing music and selling oranges and also primarily um, being a town crier Letting the audience know. So even your snacks during intermission are... Well, now, Mary... Well, you said oranges. Yes, there's oranges, but there's also probably, you know, wine and... Well, they, cookies and beer. They, they didn't cookies. have cookies <laughs> back then. They had biscuits. No, no but before the, sh- <laughs> before the show, only okay. oranges. Okay. Before, there's no Hershey's before the show. Okay. And we have an, an actor in costume out there telling the audience that it's time to go in. All right. Well, speaking of time to go... Time to go. <laughs> Bye-bye. for this segment. Friends, thank you for listening to From the Heart on Magic 107.5. FM. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt, and we will be right back. Welcome back to From the Heart. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt, here sitting with Christian Knightley, Marketing Director, Anne Herring, Educator, Director, and Actor, and Jack Smith, Costume Designer of Twelfth Night in Repertoire with Shakespeare at Love at the Shakespeare Festival. So excited to hear about this. Uh, During the break, we were hearing more about just how authentic this production is being done. I'm I'm here watching... um, that is called embroidery. Embroidery. Yeah. I was going to say crochet, and I knew it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> I'm watching you embroider, and it's it's time intensive. And you, how many handkerchiefs have you said you've done so far? Um. Oh my gosh, there's one, two, three, four, six. I believe six that we've embroidered. Two of which are really key to the show. We did a a Sebastian and Viola uh, monogram um, that each of the two twins has a handkerchief, and at the end the director has worked it in to be a part of how they recognize each other. Right, right. But but I love that the detail because they were hand drawn then, yeah, you're hand making them now. now. Amazing. Yep. In a modern in a modern version of this, we would have used machine embroidery or even painted the embroidery. Uh, but again, I felt it was so important that our, our mission was to be as authentic as we could. Mm-hmm. So I've I've I took it on myself uh, pr- primarily. We have one other person who's stitching a handkerchief, even as we speak, and uh, and okay. then we partnered with the Embroidery Guild of America's local chapter, and they did a set of two sets of sleeves, collars, and cuffs for the twins, Viola and Sebastian, uh, in a style that's called Spanish black work. I bet they were uh, like pleasantly surprised that you would call them yeah. one. I didn't even know we had a guild of yep. embroiderers or a chapter here in Orlando, yeah. but you called them and said, we're doing a play and will you help? Were yeah. they happy to do that? Absolutely. One of our uh, volunteers, Holly Carpenter, who has been here since the very first season is a member of the guild. And she would invite me to come speak to the guild when I would come down to do shows. And then I joined the guild. And then when this project came up, I thought this is, this uh. is that moment to see if we can partner and, and do this work. And uh, to their credit, the Embroidery Guild of America, they're an amazing group of people. 
and they jumped at the chance to do this. So work. if a listener out there is an someone who embroiders and yeah. they want to get in touch with this guild, how can they? Um, you can look them up online. The, it's the EGA, the Embroidery Guild of America. Orlando chapter. Orlando chapter. And it's, I think they're called the Sunshine Chapter. All right. And tell them Jack Smith sent you. Absolutely. <laughs> Go see Twelfth Night. You'll see his work. Yeah. It's very good. I can attest to oh, it. <laughs> thank you. Um, uh, challenges for this production other than um, keeping it in the present tense and um, marketing, what what challenges do you foresee? Um, what challenges do we foresee? I think I think we've covered most of that. I, I did want to say that um, it's it's a great partnering. It's a great pairing up Twelfth Night um, in original practices with our production of Shakespeare in Love because um, they reflect each other so well. Mm -hmm. um, Shakespeare in Love, of course, is based on the film by Tom Stoppard, wrote the, um, the uh, screenplay. And, um, and he also did the adaptation for the stage play. Um, and it, it's, if any of you have seen, listeners have seen Shakespeare in Love, it deals with Shakespeare um, kind of losing his muse. Um, and looking for an inspiration so that he can get through his writer's block. And in the movie and in the stage ver version, he meets a, a young woman who desperately wants to be an actress. And so she dresses like a boy so that she can be on the stage with Shakespeare's players. And of course, he um, falls in love with her and then finds out that it's the same person. And um, he uses her, her name uh, happens to be Viola, as is the one of the primary female characters in Twelfth Night, and he uses her as the inspiration for writing Twelfth Night. Mm. Um, their relationship becomes more of a Romeo and Juliet relationship, but he wants it to end happily. So as the play and um, as the movie and the play ends with Shakespeare in Love, he is embarking upon writing Twelfth Night. So it's a really nice pairing mm -hmm. for uh, an audience to see both um, sides of that. Um, there, it is essentially the same cast. Um, there are some women in, in say, yeah. Shakespeare in Love that are not in Twelfth Night, um, but otherwise it's essentially the same cast. And in fact, the um, actor playing um, William Shakespeare in Shakespeare in Love plays Olivia in Twelfth Night. Right. So um, he's, you know, the, the, act, the character is playing his own character mm -hmm. actually. So uh, it's a really nice pairing, and, and compliment, they complement each other really well. Lovely. Thank yeah. you for that. Mm -hmm. I would also say, add to that, the thing that we talked about the most in production meetings is that we can, I can reproduce the costume, the cut, the undergarments. We can try and reproduce lighting and music and all of those things. The one thing that we can't accurately reproduce is an Elizabethan audience. Mm. So the audience that sits mm -hmm. down is a modern audience. Mm -hmm. So I am I am making some sort of bends to that. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a scene where the the gentlemen all come out after having a drunken revelry, and we've had them. We have sleeves that tie on because that was part of the period. And actually, Elizabeth was a great fan of giving decorative sleeves as oh. a gift. So lots of the sleeves tie on. Um, so we have them with their sleeves untied and off and their doublets undone in the front and during the elizabethan era, era this to to appear in public with your doublet undone would be sort of the same as walking out of the house in your underwear just mm. it wasn't done inappropriate but our modern audience sees that and recognizes mm. it as 
relaxed. They're drinking. Mm. They're maybe bad boys, you know, and so that becomes the challenge for us is that we can reproduce everything as accurately as possible except the audience. The audience comes in with a modern expectation. Well, what to someone listening now who's intrigued and is maybe on the fence about coming, how can they prepare themselves to get the most out of this pr- production? Um, what expectations should they come in with or not come in with? Or uh, what advice do you have to them? Um, I, th- I would say come in um, open to a new experience and um, ready to hear sounds that are, are somewhat different from what they're used to hearing on stage. Um, and to um, just come in with an open mind and uh, enjoy. And I, of course, encourage people to see both shows because I think it's fun to see these actors transform into a different story and a different character um, that are essentially around the same story. Mm. And Shakespeare in Love is a beautiful show as well. I love the film. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Lovely. Uh, This season... Is there anything else that you want to talk about besides? Um, the remainder of the season is um, our uh, last uh, children's series offering of this season is Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, Very No Good, Very Bad Day adaptation <laughs> of the book, um, which is a very fun uh, musical for kids. Um, that opens in late March, I believe. And then. And what's um, that about? Uh, it's well. It's based on the the book, the Alexander series, and Alexander is just having a really bad day, and his brothers are giving him heck, and his mother and father don't understand him, and he has to sort it all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very popular series. And then um, our last signature series show is the Luckiest People, which is a contemporary, um, I would say, dramedy comedy mostly that um, is in the Goldman Theater, and the luckiest people um, came out of uh, our Playfest uh, new play series uh, a couple of years ago, which we do every fall. And it is um, kind of part of our uh, tradition to take one play from Playfest and, um, and hopefully use it as a um, signature series show in a future season. Wow, mm-hmm. lovely. Well, fantastic. And if for anyone interested in buying tickets, give them the website and phone number. You want to go to um, orlandoshakes.org, uh, orlandoshakes, one word, dot org. Um, you can purchase tickets there, and you can also call our box office at 407-447-1700, extension 1. So before we leave, I would like to ask the three of you if you have a short a story about a time a theater experience changed your perception of something, maybe as a child or even as an adult. I'll share a quick one with you. Um, I was waiting tables at the Marriott Marquis. Our station closed early. This is in Manhattan. Our two top offered us two tickets to, um, oh, what was the play? Uh, I'll think of it in a second. M. Butterfly. Mm. I had seen mm. it twice already with John Lithgow, and this time was with Robert. They gave us tickets for um, Tony Randall. I brought my co-waiter, who was from... Um, Bangladesh, and he had never seen a Broadway show. It wasn't a musical, but I thought, well, he wanted to go. He sat on the edge of his seat like this the whole play, and when the reveal came, um, I'm not going to give it away if you don't know, listeners, sorry, he grabbed my knee and said, but I loved her too. I I loved her too. I loved her. Afterwards, he wanted to go out and have a drink. I said, you don't drink. He said, I will tonight. Uh, He was devout Muslim, and boy, he, it, it was transformative, and then his how he was different with the waiters at work who were actors and 
and it was different for him, but he'd ask them about their husband or their partner or their, and I just saw it. It was a breakthrough for him, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. So cool. I was just wondering if you ever, for you or someone you were with, uh, and because you're theater people, yeah, I ask. Yeah, um, I don't. I I don't. I know that in terms of my own experiences, I think Nicholas Nickleby was a real breakthrough for me. I think it was just a beautiful production. Um, coincidentally, the actor who's playing Will Shakespeare and Olivia was Nicholas Nickleby. Wow. Um, and it's not. It's a a production that I was the most proud to be Tell in. Tell them how long it was. Uh, we've talked about it in here, but in, listeners, if you don't remember this, uh, I, well, I remember spending an entire Saturday watching it in two Yeah, it was pa- right. it's a it's a two-part um, uh, event. Um, each part is about three and a half hours, and um, part one and part two, and we did do some performances, some days where we did part one and part two in the same day, so an audience could see the first part of it, go have a meal, and come back and see the second part. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I got to design that show, and that was amazing. Um, I would say, actually, this Twelfth Night is one of the most powerful pieces I've ever done. And uh, it's I've, I'm silly and sentimental, but my first season here, we did Twelfth Night at Lake Eola. And it was just, it was such a, it's such a challenge doing outdoor theater. Like, it never fails that you get there, and it's, there's one sock missing. And it's, it's an hour trip to go get that sock. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just no way around it. But um, when I was pulling through fabrics to do different aspects of this Twelfth Night, I found a scrap of the, the fabric that I made Lady Olivia's dress out of in the first Twelfth Night that I did here in 1998. Wow. So wow. 20 years ago. Chills. And I used it to do the snood for uh, Mariah's mm. headpiece. So it's like, you know, the audience members won't... You know, obviously now our listeners know that, might. But, <laughs> they'll yeah. go. I wonder if that's that but fabric. It was, it was me being slightly sentimental yeah. about, about that. But that's what's beautiful about the arts. You yeah. know, we can take our sentiment and use it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. How about yourself, Michael? Uh, well, I mean, when I started, Michael, I met Christian. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Who's <laughs> when, Michael? No one. When I started um, in November at Orlando Shakes, they were in their children's series of Sh- uh, Showtime with Shakespeare, a Magic Treehouse adventure, and um, I think it was my second day on the job and I got to sit in and watch that production. And, uh, it was really, really exciting, um, to see it was the world premiere of the the uh, world premiere. And it was the first time we live streamed a production. Um, we live streamed it, um, throughout the state of Florida, um, to underserved schools, um, through a generous grant, um, from the Elizabeth Morse foundation uh, and we actually ended up getting um, three continents in several countries um, tuning in. We we live streamed two performances of it. It was really really That's cool. Yeah, phenomenal. So How many people watched it at once? Do you think? I, we all a whole bunch. Yeah, <laughs> That's beautiful. Few hundred. Yeah. yeah so it was it was great to to yeah. walk into to this new job and just see the reach that we had yeah. with this technology to um, see a production that really. Um, it, it used hip hop music, but it it introduced kids to Shakespeare in just a very fun, exciting way, um, accessible so, way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it was it was just um, a really great experience. Oh, I hope you do something like that again. We we plan on it. And let us know because we're here for you. Um, great. We we have microphones and chairs, and I don't know if we'll always have someone sewing. <laughs> I would like that. It was fun to watch you. Thanks. I can't thank the three of you so much for being here today. And listeners, if you're out there, please go and uh, take part of Twelfth Night and Shakespeare in Love. One more time, the dates? 
Uh, that's all right. Look it up, orlandoshakes.org. All right. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt. Joshua, we missed you. I'll tell you all about it. Friends, go out and experience some art this week. Thank you for listening to Magic 107.7 FM. I'm Mary Thompson Hunt. Bye-bye.